Well, please keep that passage open that we've just read, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be focusing particularly this evening on verses 9 to 11 as we consider together the exaltation of Christ. The exaltation of Christ. C.S. Lewis, the celebrated author of the Narnia series of books, he, he summed up the miracle of Christ's coming into the world and returning to heaven in this way. He says, in the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. One may think, he says, of a diver, first reducing himself to near nakedness, then gone with a splash, rushing down into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, and then up again. Back to colour and light, his lungs almost bursting, till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. Very poetic way of thinking about the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. I mentioned a few weeks ago when we looked at uh, chapter 2 verses 5 to 8 that Paul forms, you might say, a a U-shape with his words in these verses 5 to 11. That Jesus, indeed, like a diver, has gone down to the depths. And then he has risen back up again. And we saw in verses 6 to 8 last time how death on a cross was rock bottom for Christ. There he was in the depths. A most shameful, awful Humanly speaking, disastrous position. But he went there in obedience to his father and to save his people, of course, from their sins. But having gone down to the depths, Christ then is brought back up again. And so we turn to verses 9 to 11 this evening. Verse 9, you'll notice there, begins with the word, therefore... Uh, And of course, that tells us that everything we're about to read in verses 9 to 11 is a direct result of what we read in verses 6 to 8. And so it's because of Christ's obedience and his humiliation and his willingness to suffer death on a cross, because of all of that, that the Father has exalted him. And so verses 6 to 8, if you like, focus on the actions of Christ, his obedience in going to the cross But we read about in verses 9 to 11 in many ways are the actions of the Father in raising up, exalting his Son. And that's what the word exalted or exaltation means, boys and girls. It maybe sounds a very strange word, exaltation. It just means to be lifted up, to be lifted up, uh, to be recognized. That someone says about someone else, they they deserve this place of honour. Uh, This prestige, this award, this respect. In a couple of months' time, we'll we'll see the coronation of the king. And in some ways, you could say that's a bit of an exaltation. That's the king being honoured and given his place over the nation. And Christ, likewise, has been honoured and exalted to his rightful position over all the nations. People have all different thoughts about Jesus when they hear his name. Some like to focus on Jesus' infancy, and sometimes his infancy is romanticized, the baby Jesus. Some like to make much of the fact that 
Jesus, while he was on the earth, was a really good person. And, and people will focus very happily upon the good things that Jesus said or did or taught. People like the idea that perhaps he was a rebel, that he didn't abide by the religious man-made rules of the day. More importantly, of course, it's right for us to regularly take time to think about Christ on the cross. As we did in Philippians 2 a few weeks ago. As we did last week at communion. But friends, Jesus is no longer in any of those positions. He's no longer a baby in a manger. Nor was he ever just only a good person. Nor did his life end at the cross. He has been raised God the Father has exalted him. Having suffered in the lowest place, Christ has been raised to the highest place. So let's think this evening about his exaltation. Let's think first of all about the position Christ has been given. The position Christ has been given. Verse 9 states very simply, Therefore God has highly exalted him. Highly exalted is one word in the original language. And it's a word, in fact, that is only used this one time in the whole of the New Testament. No one is ever described in exactly the way that Paul describes Jesus here in Philippians 2 verse 9. The NIV has God has raised him to the highest place. That's a helpful way of putting it as well. Because there is no higher place, no higher position than the position Christ has been exalted to. There's no one with more authority than our king, our saviour, our shepherd. We tend to judge people's importance based on what title they hold. That's not always a good thing, of course. We shouldn't just be fawning over those who have the highest positions or the most money necessarily. But a title does tell us something about the expertise of a person or the experience of a person. Or the importance of the job that they hold. Manager, director, vice president, president, whatever it might be. Well, Paul simply says there is no one in any higher position than Jesus Christ. No one. Believe it or not, uh, some individuals have already stated publicly that they're planning to run for president of the United States again. Uh, The next election for president isn't until November next year. So it's a long way away yet in some ways. But Donald Trump and a few others have already indicated that they want to run for president. But whether Trump wins again or someone else wins, they don't get the position forever. In fact, in the grand scheme of things, they don't get it for very long at all. Just four short years. And we see all the time dozens Hundreds of people who fight for powerful positions only to lose it again so quickly. Company executives, politicians, football managers and many others. No sooner have they got the position they fought for than it's gone again. No matter how big men and women dream, no matter how powerful their position may be, there is no one higher In the Lord Jesus Christ, he has been, we might say, super exalted. And he has held the position that he is now in for more than 2,000 years. King of kings, Lord of lords. 
How did Jesus get this position? Well, again, we've considered it already. The things that we read about in verses 5 to 8 explain why Christ has been exalted. God the Father looked at his life, his obedience from childhood, never disobeying his adopted earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. The Father saw Christ's adult years doing all his work perfectly, even when he was doing the work of a carpenter in the backwater of Nazareth. Never an impure thought in his mind, never a temptation given into. The father saw the son's treatment of the poor, the outcasts, women and children, the sick. He saw his gentleness and selflessness and kindness, his obedience to the law of God at every juncture. And to cap it all, he saw the the son's obedience in going to death, even death on a cross, Offering himself up in accordance with the Father's will in our place for our sins. And in response to all of that, God the Father has exalted the Son to the highest place. And in fact, friends, God the Father has given to God the Son a position that, in a sense, he didn't have previously. Before Christ came into the world as a baby, God the Son, of course, had always existed. Again, we we thought about that last time, that he always was God, spiritual, eternal, powerful. But now God the Son had taken on human flesh as well. And he will remain fully God and fully human, fully man, now and forever. Uh, That's hard for us to understand, but we believe it by faith. It's what the scripture teaches And so Jesus now has ascended. He has returned to heaven different from how he left heaven. He has ascended to heaven, God the Son, the Son of God rather, and the Son of Man in his human flesh. No other human has ever or will ever hold the position Jesus has, super exalted, ruler over every place, every person, every nation, tribe, language, Every atom, every planet, every star in the universe. But again, friends, remember, why is Paul even talking about any of this in the first place? What did it take for Jesus to be given his exalted position? Humble service. Self-sacrificing love. Many people who get into powerful positions do it by Focusing on themselves, self-preservation, presenting an image of themselves, getting rid of the the bad news about themselves, maybe attacking their opponents. Uh, Certainly that's one tactic of politicians to discredit their opponents and to play up their own strengths and what they offer. And that's how they get into an exalted position. Well, Jesus has been exalted by becoming a slave He's been raised to the highest position by willingly stooping to the lowest position first. And that tells us something about how we are to conduct ourselves in this world. That we're not always to be building ourselves up and preserving ourselves and avoiding sacrifice and difficulty. That we too are to become servants. So Jesus has been given the highest position, Lord of all question is do we gladly recognize him as lord of all
Is it obvious in our lives that we believe him to be Lord of all? As we talk about tomorrow's challenges or today's disappointments, it's not a case of acting like everything's just hunky-dory and just putting on a big plastic smile for people, but nor should we be easily complaining or worrying because after all, Jesus Christ is seated in the place of highest authority. He is super exalted. And as we considered with Abram this morning, we have him to turn to. We have him to plead with. We have him to pray to. As we face temptations to sin, we pray to the one who has defeated sin. As Satan would seek to attack us or persecute us, we turn to the one who has defeated Satan and exposed him as a liar. Christ's exaltation proves to us that we don't have to give in to sin. So often the temptation to sin comes because we think, well, I need to get into that position or I need to have that thing. And that's why I need to commit this sin. Well, Christ never sinned. And look where he ended up in the highest position, the most blessed, glorified position of all. (coughs) As we try to witness and share the gospel with our neighbours. It will spur us on to do so remembering that Christ is exalted. He's in the highest position with most authority and he has commanded us to speak for him. And so we're not to be ashamed. As we deal with our daily struggles, again, we considered this with Abram this morning. When we grow tired or we need assurance, we have someone who speaks for us in heaven, who loves us and is sitting in the highest possible position, who is sovereign over our struggles. Some people like to brag about who they know. Maybe some rich, famous, important person and they have their ear. Well, we have the ear of the most highly exalted person in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. Does your life bear witness to that fact that Jesus is highly exalted? The position he has been given in his exaltation. Secondly, the name he has been given in his exaltation. The name he has been given. Not only does Paul tell us that Jesus has been given the highest position. But at the end of verse 9 he says the father has bestowed on Jesus. If you like the highest name. He says that Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. The obvious question is what name is that? One opinion is that Paul is simply talking about the name of Jesus. Uh, And and indeed, if you look at verse 10, of course, he says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Uh, But in fact, it seems very unlikely that the name Jesus by itself is the name above every name. Uh, And the reason I say that is because there are plenty of other people in the world called Jesus. There were certainly many people in the time of Jesus who were called Jesus. Uh, Joshua is the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. Uh, And there are lots of people to this day in certain parts of the world uh, who have that name Jesus, particularly in the Latin world. Not only that, but God the Father did not give God the Son the name Jesus at his exaltation. In other words, it wasn't when Jesus ascended back into heaven that he was first given that name Jesus. Of course, he was given that name uh, before he was born. The angel Gabriel commanded Mary to call him Jesus. So it's not a name that's kept for his exaltation. It was a name given 
when he came down to the earth. And indeed, it wasn't always a name that was given the respect that it deserved. Think about how the people responded to the name of Jesus during his time on the earth. The Pharisees and others tended to ignore the name of Jesus. Or they ridiculed the name of Jesus. They, uh, they, they insulted him. They called him a son of a devil and a son with no father, to put it politely, and all kinds of other uh, derisions. So the name of Jesus was given long before his exaltation and it was not a name that was always given the respect that it deserved. And so several commentators suggest that the name above every name is not the name of Jesus, but it is what we see in verse 11, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord. And that, I would suggest, is the name that is above Every other name. Paul and many others in his day would have had a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And in that translation, the name of God, Yahweh, was always translated using the Greek word for Lord. And we do something similar in many of our English translations today as well. Uh, I mentioned this this morning, in fact, in our Genesis passage that oftentimes the word Lord is in capital letters in your Old Testament Bibles, and that is the name Yahweh. Sometimes it's the word God is in capital letters. Uh, Whenever you see that, either God or Lord in capitals, it's the name of God. It's that covenant name of God in the original, Yahweh. Isaiah 45, 24, we read earlier, Only in the Lord, Yahweh, shall it be said of me, our righteousness And strength. So let's realize, friends, the weight and importance of what Paul is saying here. He is saying that Jesus Christ, who walked the earth, and we assume went through all the other experiences that we go through cut knees, hunger, tiredness, but who also healed disease and calmed storms and rose from the dead. Paul is saying, He has been given the name of God. He is Yahweh. He is Lord. He is God. Again, no one higher than him. And we must try and appreciate how shocking this would have been for the Philippians, the first readers of Paul's letter. The motto of their city, I don't know what the motto of Dremor is. Maybe some of you can tell me if there is one. But the motto of the city of Philippi, like all Roman cities in that day, the motto was Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And you could practice whatever religion you wanted. You could worship whatever God you wanted as long as you agreed with that statement. As long as you gave it at least a a passing acknowledgement as you went into the temple to worship whatever other God you wanted to worship. Caesar is Lord. No one higher than Caesar. Paul says to his readers, don't you say that. Don't you be saying that Caesar is Lord. Don't you believe that Caesar is Lord. And Paul here is telling our brothers and sisters in North Korea today, don't you be saying that Kim Jong-un is Lord. And he's telling us in our selfie, self-obsessed, Identity driven culture in the West. 
Don't you go thinking that you're Lord. Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. The name of Yahweh. The covenant God of history. The God of Israel. The God of all. One of the reasons people object to our denomination's position on singing only the Psalms is they sometimes have heard people say, that means you can never sing the name of Jesus. And yes, on one level that is true. The literal name Jesus does not appear in the Psalter. But a couple of things I would say to that. Number one, what does the name Jesus mean? It means he saves. Did the Psalms ever mention the Saviour, the one who saves? Yes, you'll find that here and there, to say the least, in the Psalms. That we sing about a Saviour, the one who saves. Number two, while he still bears the name Jesus today, friends, he is not the despised, ignored, misunderstood man that walked the earth once. He has been exalted. He is Jesus, but he is Lord. He is King. He is God. He is Yahweh. And so again, every time as you open the Psalms and you see those capital letters, Lord, in your Psalm book, you're singing about Jesus. You're singing about the position that he holds and the power that he holds and the God that he is. And the importance of this, the fact that Paul would say that Jesus has been given the name that is above every name Uh, The importance of that comes out when we remember again what we read earlier in Isaiah. Isaiah 42 verse 8, for example. Isaiah 42 verse 8. God says, I am the Lord, Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other. So that again emphasizes to us the, the divinity of Christ. Because God, Father, Son and Spirit will not just give out that name, Lord, to anyone else. It's a name that only applies to God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is Lord. He is God. Again, the question for us is, do we recognize Jesus to be Lord? We treat him with the respect that the Lord of the universe deserves. He is Lord of your life. Do you treat him as such? How does his lordship impact the time we give to prayer? How does his lordship impact our speech? The things we say about him. The things that we will not say about him. How does his lordship impact our thoughts? He is Lord Of your thoughts. Does Christ's lordship encourage you? Does it excite you? Does the thought of seeing him. Excite us. And motivate us in our service of him. Or do you not believe that Jesus is Lord? Is someone else trying to take Jesus place. As Lord of your life. Are you just acting as though you are. Your own Lord. Of your life. And so giving in to the original temptation of Satan, you will be like God. Christ has been exalted to the highest position. He has been given the name that is above every name. Thirdly and finally, having thought about the position that he has been given and the name that he has been given, want to think about the worship that he will be given. 
the worship that he will be given. Look at verse 10 again. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice there at the end, to the glory of God the Father. There's no conflict in God, friends. Even in his exaltation, God the Son brings glory to God the Father. And in his exalted position, Paul speaks of every living being. Every intelligent creature bowing down, praising the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Paul seems to have the language of Isaiah in mind. Isaiah 45, 23, God says, From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. And again here Paul attributes to Jesus what was promised in the Old Testament for God. Jesus will receive this adoration and worship because he is God. Who's going to give this worship? He says everyone in heaven, first of all, all, that means all the angels and all the saints that have already departed to glory. Paul says everyone on the earth will worship him. Those of us who are already Christians, but also one day everyone else as well. This doesn't mean that everyone is going to be saved, but it means that when Jesus returns, everyone will finally see him in all his glory and they will have to accept that he is Lord and they will have to open their mouths and praise him as Lord. That will be a moment of joy and delight for us. It will be a moment of grudging, terrifying acceptance for those who never put their faith in him. And Paul says, everyone under the earth will confess him as Lord. That's Satan and demons and those fallen angels that are in Satan's employ. They will have to finally admit defeat and bow before our king. Paul finishes in verse 11, every tongue will confess. A day is coming when Jesus will receive the worship that he deserves. We don't like it, do we, when people don't appreciate something that we think is remarkable or praiseworthy. Maybe an art lover shows a painting to someone who doesn't have any interest in art and all that person sees is a swirl of weird shapes and colours. Or a football fan shows a replay of a, a beautiful goal to their spouse and the spouse says, oh yeah, very good. Or a wife shows a husband a dress she's thinking of buying and he says, yep, very nice. We want other people to see the value, to see the praiseworthiness of what's important to us. Those examples I've just given are very subjective and trivial. But as Christians, our heart's desire should be that unbelievers around us see the objective greatness and love and holiness and glory of our God. That he would be praised as he deserves to be praised. John Piper has said, mission exists. Christian mission exists because worship doesn't. In other words, the goal of telling someone about Jesus and by God's grace seeing them converted, it's so that they will then worship God as he deserves to be worshipped. That's the reason we pray for Galway and Limerick and Dublin and Seville and 
everywhere else. Because worship isn't happening in those places, at least not to the degree that we would long to see. It's not, like, it's not happening in Dremor to the degree that we would long to see either. And Paul is saying, you may not see everyone around you declaring Jesus as Lord today, but you will one day. The farmer in the next lane, the colleagues you work with, the classmates you study with, the teammates you play with, one day, either gladly or fearfully, the words will cross their lips. Jesus is Lord And since they're going to worship him one day, friends, should we not be urging them to worship him now? To willingly, urgently, gladly bow the knee now. So that when he returns, they will have nothing to be ashamed of. And he will not turn away from them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. Just as we conclude, I want to draw your attention all the way back to verse 5. I know it's several weeks ago that we looked at it, but just notice it again. This, this is why Paul has gone through what he said. He's talked about the humiliation of Christ. He's talked about the exaltation of Christ. Look back at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Paul has been calling the Philippians to humility and service. A little bit later in the letter, he is going to plead with two women who have fallen out in the congregation to reconcile. How does he go about doing that? He says, look at Christ. Look at how low he was willing to go. Consider how high he has been raised up. And he is motivating us in doing so, friends, to be more servant-hearted ourselves. And the incredible thing is that if we do follow Christ and if we do seek to imitate his example more often of selfless service and humility, we will be exalted too. Not to that unique position that Christ is in, but exalted to glory nonetheless. The Bible is very clear about this, that we are to reign with him, to enjoy glory with him forevermore. 1 Peter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Same thing as what happened to Christ. He humbled himself and then he was exalted. And Peter says it'll be the same for you if you have faith in him. And he says it will happen at the proper or the appointed time. Right now we see this world chaotic, rebellious, messed up by sin. Now this short time that we have on earth is is when we have to receive the world's hatred and insults at times and rejection and disinterest and persecution. But at the proper time, we will be exalted. And we will live forever with our Lord, enjoying a world made new. And so in the meantime, may we acknowledge Christ as Lord in every part of our lives. May we follow his example of self-sacrificing service and humility. And may we urge lost sinners around us to do the same. So that they and we are ready when this exalted King returns. Amen.